We are coming to the end almost of our series on the seven I am's. I mean, this is number six. Next week we're going to finish it off. Uh, we notice that in the book of John, Jesus seven times tells us I am. Then he gives us a descriptive phrase because he wants us to understand his identity. Uh, we've gone over five of them. We've got today's next week. But out of all the ones we've, we've gone over, actually all of them that we will go over, there is none more controversial, none more polarizing, one, none more anti-American culture, maybe anti-world culture than the one we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do, we need you to close your eyes because we are on a memory uh, technique that we're working through to try to keep in mind all the, the, the seven I am's. I've had different people try to, to, to fix the, these pictures for me and whatever works for you works. I've been told the goofier they are, the better chance they have of working. That's why some of these may not make any sense. But on the very bottom, if your eyes are closed, you see six loaves of bread, right? They're like a pyramid. Three on the bottom, two in the middle, one on top, six loaves of bread. This is not normal bread, though. This is 35-day-old bread. And so there's a big 35 stamped on the end of each loaf of bread. In John 6, 35, Jesus says what? He's the bread of life. Yes, yeah, so coming out right out of the top of that, that sixth loaf, the top loaf of bread, you got a light pole. Now, the top of the light pole is a stop sign. Uh, it's painted gray, so you don't see the word stop. But at the corner of each stop sign, there is a light bulb. And so there are eight light bulbs, two at the top, two on the bottom, two on your left, two on your right. Eight light bulbs, one on each corner. You see them there, right? These are 12-watt light bulbs. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the what? He's the light of the world. Yes, now right on top of the stop sign, you've got a door. Now this is a 10-foot tall door. This is a Goliath-sized door. Goliath could walk through this thing without having to duck. It's a huge, maybe oak door, but there are nine doorknobs on this door. Three across the top, three across the middle, three across the bottom. Any one of them will work. And John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the... He's the door. Yes, yes, yes. Don't get soft. Don't go to sleep here. Let's keep going. Sitting on top of the door is a little boy. This boy looks like Opie and Andy Griffith. You know, he's freckled. Maybe he's missing a tooth. He's a 10-year-old little boy dressed up like a shepherd. And he's got a, a staff. Uh, he's got huge feet, though, for a 10-year-old kid. That's the first thing you notice. His feet are like bozo feet. They're, they're size 11, which is huge for a 10-year-old kid. In John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the... He's the good shepherd, yes, right on top of this little boy's head. He's must, kid's got a tough neck, all right? This is, he's like Russell's or something. And so there's a cave on his head. It's a tomb. It's like the tomb Jesus was buried in. And you know that because the huge stone that was in front of the tomb is rolled off to the side. This is a huge stone. It's an 11-ton stone. And walking out of the tomb is a mummy. And he's not zombie-esque. You know, he's, he's alive. And the reason why you know he's alive is because he's got he's, this oxygen tank on his back, like a scuba diver would wear. He's, he's breathing. It's a 25-pound oxygen tank. And so you've got this 11-ton boulder, 25-pound oxygen tank. In John eleven twenty five, Jesus says what? Resurrection of life. Yes, yes, yes. And stay with me. Today's on top of the cave. You've got a highway. Now, this is highway number 14, and you know it's highway number 14 because there's a highway number 14 sign on the side. But also, if you were flying over in an airplane or helicopter or something and you looked down, there'd be a giant one and a giant four painted on the highway. This is highway 14, no question about it. And you notice on this highway there are six cars, six 
brand new red Ferrari cars. These are like Magnum PI cars if you're from my era. You got two in the front and two in the middle and two in the back, six of them. Highway 14, six red cars in John 14, six. Jesus says, I am the, not the Ferrari, the way, the truth, and the life. You can open your eyes. Yes. We'll get it. Um, back, how many years back now? Dan Brown wrote his multi-million dollar pop culture uh, phenom named The Da Vinci Code. Do you remember this? And in his Da Vinci Code, one of, the, one of the many heretical messages that he comes through with is that really all religions are the same. Now this wasn't really new for Dan Brown. 1795, English poet William Blake wrote a book, All Religions Are One, or Religions Are One. Also, uh, Gandhi said this. Gandhi said, Belief in God is the cornerstone of all religions. The Dalai Lama affirms that the essential message of all religions is very much the same. The Hindu teacher, and I'm sure you're familiar with this guy, Swami Sivananda, right? You all know him? Oh yeah, I read him all the time. He says, he says, The fundamentals or essentials of all religions are the same. There is difference only in the non-essentials. And the picture is, right, you've heard this, is a big mountain. And the top is God. And there are paths up on the mountain all around, the different paths. And, and the paths are look different, but they all converge into one at the top as they reach God. And the, the paths are all, of course, different world religions. And, and everyone's got their different take. But they're all going after and will all eventually meet with God. That's, 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 the, thought, that's the thought. And Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. And that can be controversial in and of itself, but uh, okay, we can probably get away with that one. But then he adds a line that you just can't get away from. He says that, that no man comes to the Father except by me. And in this pluralistic culture, it's like, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Who do you think you are? This is the epitome of arrogance. You've got the corner on truth. You've disregarded all of the world's religions. Your religion is better than everybody else's. Is this what you're, you're tell, telling me? Who do you think you are? That's the, 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 the mantra of this day, of this pluralistic era we're in right now. And if you decide to take that on, and say, listen, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He alone is the way. That's really akin to committing social suicide just about in this culture. According to where you say it, you will be ridiculed, you'll be mocked. If people don't say anything, they will be thinking it. You will be ostracized as a close-minded, bigot sort of person. And so what happens with this? Well, two groups of people, if in fact you're really a non-follower of Christ, you really don't think a whole lot about him. Maybe your home you grew up with in, in just didn't talk a lot about Jesus. Maybe your church experience in the past has been kind of bad, you know, you, bad taste in your mouth. Uh, you haven't really thought a lot about Jesus in, in all, on, uh, all honesty. Uh, you, with that thinking out there, that mantra, you would say, well, wh why do that? I mean, really, do I need a religion in my life? Do I, my life so hard up, I don't have enough time, I really need one? I don't need it. I don't have time for this. And why worry about it? If they're all the same, it really doesn't matter. Just pick whatever's easier. That's the way to do it. Also, if we're Christians, and here's the problem for us, when everyone is talking about how all religions are one, and we hear this and we keep our mouth shut, that erodes our faith. When we keep our mouth shut, 
that is akin to committing spiritual treason. And I'm not saying we're supposed to be obnoxious. And I'm not saying that there's not timing and that there's not humility and there's not sensitivity and those kind of things. But to not stand up for Christ is to deny Him. And there's no way in the world you can have a growing faith if, in fact, you are denying Christ. I'm just going to cover and hide this thing. And we're tempted to say, oh yeah, see, this is cool for me and whatever's cool for you is fine and all that's good, that's all right. We're we're tempted to go down that road. And if we do, our faith uh, won't be long before it's crumbled. It's, It's gone. So what, what, in the midst of all this, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you say, my goodness, how can somebody be so exclusive? And let me just, just throw this out at you for a minute. Christianity, Christianity is an exclusive faith. Just, just work with me for a minute. It is not one of the many paths on the mountain. It's not even the better path. It's not the best path on the mountain. It's the only path that reaches to the top. It's, 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 the, it's the only one. And here's the difference. Every other world uh, system, philosophical, philosophical system or religious system, is based on the ethical, religious, or philosophical teachings of its founder. Islam is based on the teachings of Muhammad, the Confucianism, Confucius, uh, Marxism on Karl Marx. But Christianity is not based on the teachings of Christ. It's, it's not. It's based on who Christ is. Jesus did not say, I've come to show you the way. He came, to, he came saying, I am the way. He didn't say, I've come to tell you about the truth. He said, I'm the truth. A key difference. Now, we Christians, we follow the teachings of Jesus, but we don't follow them because, you know, they sound, sound cool. I like what he says about poor people over here. When he said over here about this thing, that kind of resonates with my soul. That's not why we obey or pay any heed to the teachings of Jesus but only because of who he is and what he did. This incredible distinction. So we want to look at, just for a moment this morning, as we live in this pluralistic age, as we know that this saying of Jesus will get us in hotter water than any other, what qualifies Jesus to say this? And reality is what qualifies him to say any of the I am statements. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to John 14. John 14. First thing we're going to notice is Jesus is, of all the world religious leaders, Jesus is unique in his claims. Very, very important. Unique in his claims. He just gets done saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then in verse 7, he says this. He says, if you really knew me, you would know my Father. Now, when Jesus says my Father, you can just insert the word God. He's talking about the first person of the Trinity, a God. He says, so if you really knew me, you would know God as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, just show us God and that'll be enough for us. I mean, the Jewish people knew you couldn't see God. Moses tried it one time. Remember this in Exodus 33? And God said, oh, no, 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 you can't. I'm going to cover you, hide in the rock, and I'll let you see part of my back, but you can't see me completely. So Philip is saying, well, just show us God then. And Jesus says, "Uh, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father or has seen God. That's quite a claim. That's quite a claim. How can you say, show us the Father? Show us God. Don't you believe that I am in God and that God is in me? Uh, The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing His work. 
Now, we see this John 1. Remember, right at the beginning of John's Gospel. And if you can get this, John starts off this way, and his whole Gospel is to prove this. 1-1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what John is going to try to convince us of in his, his, in his Gospel. Remember, so far, all the things that Jesus has said. He said, I am the bread of life, right? Now, no good teacher, and a lot of people will say, oh, Jesus is just a good teacher. No good teacher puts himself forth as the answer, right? You're in algebra class. Teacher, what is the answer to this? I don't understand this thing, all these X's and Y's. I don't know. What is the answer here? What would you think? The teacher looked at you and said, I am the answer to that problem. What are you talking about? You guys, something is wrong with him. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In other words, everything else on earth cannot satisfy, but I, can, I alone will satisfy you. He says, I am the light of the world. In this world, you need someone to guide you. I alone can do, do that. That I alone am the door. I'm, through me alone can you come in and out and find pasture, find abundant life is what he's saying. I alone am the good shepherd. Everyone else, according to Jesus, is in it for themselves to one degree or another. But I'll lay down my life for the sheep. I alone am the resurrection and the life. This life, when death comes calling, it will call for all of us. It's not the final word, Jesus says, if you trust in me. Now those are some incredible claims. How in the world can you say? John 17, I love this. Uh, mind-blowing passage. Jesus is praying in, in um, John 17. He's talking to his father pick it up in verse 3 he says now this is eternal life that they might know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do and now father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began I mean that's an incredible claim I mean Jesus is at least thinking here that he existed before the world existed. And so you, what you've got with Jesus, this is C.S. Lewis's argument, with all of his claims, and he's not shy about them, he's not real humble and kind of just subtly laying it out there, he's just straight up in your face, he's either lying, right? This is not true and he knows it's not true. And if that's, that's accurate, then that's a dangerous thing because it's a capital offense in this culture to claim to be God. Here, people just think you're crazy, but here, they will kill you if you think this. On top of that, it's a capital offense for other people to think and claim you as God. So Jesus is leading other people to their death, and he knows this is not true. That's not a good teacher. That's, that's the epitome of wickedness. Or, Jesus is just a lunatic, right? He's just, he really thought this, but really, he's just, he's not really. But he thought he was. But we know, when you look at Jesus' life, he doesn't reflect any of the signs of being mad. He, he has incredible composure in extreme cases. His wisdom and his intellect is sharp. He's able to silence the brightest minds of the day in terrible consequences. Jesus is not obsessed with himself like we find from people who have, quote-unquote, a Messiah complex. Jesus is not obsessed with himself. The real Messiah is obsessed with others. It's not a sign of somebody who's uh, crazy. So if he's not lying and he's not crazy, the only other option, according to Lewis, is he's true. This is true. He really is. He really, this is all true. Now, you need to know, there's no other major religious leader 
leader of a major religion who has claimed deity. That they, there's no other religious leader who has claimed to be God. This is unique to Jesus alone. He's, he's unique in his claims. He's also unique in his, uh, we don't see it directly here, but in prophecy. You know, it's, it's fascinating. The Old Testament was written between 1,500 and 400 years before Jesus came, according to what part you're looking at. And there are anywhere, they say there's 300 prophecies for the Messiah, for Jesus, anywhere between 61 and 109 major prophecies, if you want to it's according to what your definition of major prophecy is. Let's see what some of them are. Some say that, that he's from, the scripture will say he's from Abraham's seed. The savior of the world is going to be from the tribe of Judah. The one who's going to bless the whole world is from the family of King David. He'll be born in Bethlehem. Beth, it's Bethlehem, Ephrathah. That's that podunk town, kind of like McCain. We talked about that before. He'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. That's, that, that's what Zechariah will tell us. He would die by crucifixion. Fascinating. 800 years before crucifixion was even invented by the Romans, Psalm 22 depicts perfectly crucifixion, that he would die among thieves, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, on and on and on. Peter Stoner, mathematician, has estimated that for one man to fulfill eight of these 61 to 109 um, major prophecies, for one man to fulfill just eight of them, that is one in 10 to the 17th power. That is like one in 100 trillion. I mean, that's a big number. I mean, that's bigger than the national debt, y'all. That's just a big number. You say, how big of a number is it? I'm just trying to get my head around 100, what is that? 100,000 That is, Josh McDowell would say, if you take the state of Texas and you fill it, the whole state, it's a big state. Have you ever driven through there? Man, it takes you forever to get through there. And you, you fill it two feet high in silver dollars and you mark one silver dollar with a little red dot and then you blindfold a guy and you throw him in the middle of the state of Texas. The first dollar he picks up is that dollar with the red dot. That is what the odds we're talking about. Now, that's just one in, in eight of these prophecies. or fulfilling, fulfilling eight. If you were to fulfill 16 of these 109 major prophecies. They, they, they've estimated that that is 1 in 10 to the 45th power. That's a dot followed by 44 zeros and a 1. In any industry I know of, they are, that is a statistical impossibility. That's, and that's just 16. Jesus fulfilled them all. And what's amazing is no other religious leader has said there were prophecies about me before I got here. No other religious leader is claiming to fulfill anything like that but Jesus alone. He says, oh no, before I showed up on the scene, at least 400 years before I got here, up to 2,000 plus, you need to know there were prophecies about me. And I fulfilled them all to the T. Jesus is unique in his claims. He's unique and fulfilled prophecies. He's also unique in his works. In John 14, Verse 11, I like this, he's, he's talking, he says, Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, that I'm in God, God's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Oh, don't you love that? Jesus said, I'm telling you, I'm guys, this guy here, Philip, spent some time with him, three years with him. He saw Jesus in and out. And so Jesus is saying, don't just take my word for it. What have I done? Remember when John the Baptist is in is in prison and he's getting ready to die. And so he sends word to Jesus. He says, he says, are you really the one? Jesus doesn't just send back word. Yes. Yes, I am. Yeah. Jesus says, tell John this. The lame can walk. The blind can see. 
those who, who, who are hopeless have had the word preached to them. He's given the works of God. Look at some of the things that Jesus has done. Just some. He's healed his paralysis. He's healed gnarled limbs. He calms the storm. Uh, he raises the, the dead three times. He walks on the sea. He heals deafness. He multiplies bread. That's making food for 5,000 out of just a little bit. He creates in front of people. Uh, he casts out demons. Uh, who can do these kind of things? You've got to be a pretty good magician. This is the works of God. Matter of fact, we see in John, is it John 10? Jesus is talking. He says, I and the Father are one, or I and God are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews. And I love this. They, they didn't deny it. They didn't say, well, well, you didn't show us any great miracles. They're, they're, they're saying, yeah, we know. We've seen some incredible stuff. Not sure. They can't figure out how you can pull this off. But we do know this. You're not God. They've come to the conclusion before they looked at the evidence that he wasn't God. And Jesus is saying, listen, if I'm doing the things that only God can do, maybe I'm... And they won't buy it. You can't be. You can't be. You know, it's amazing with people. It's not often a rational, rational path that leads them to, to a, an understanding that there is no God or that Jesus is not God. They, they've predetermined that there can't be one. They've predetermined that he's not. In the face of the evidence, they say, no, no, because it just can't be. It just, it just can't be. Jesus has worked the works. Now, it's, it's fascinating, too, when you think about this. That no other spiritual leader, this is huge, no other spiritual leader has claimed to work miracles. They haven't. And then we would say, well, that makes sense because they're just mere mortals. They're mortal men. Mortal men can't do that, which is the whole case. Why Jesus has worked them as signs to demonstrate that he is who he said he was. He really was and is God. Jesus is, is unique in his claims. He's unique in his fulfilled prophecy. He's unique in, in his works. He's unique, this is interesting, in his death. He's unique in his death. Mark chapter 10. They were on their way up to Jerusalem. This is going to be the very last time they would go there. With Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. He said, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Before this transpired. He didn't just have a bad premonition about this because the Jews, there's a little debate on whether this was possible, but the Jews could have just stoned him. But the fact that he would be handed over to the Gentiles and have them, this was, this was planned out. Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one has taken my life from me. You know, just the Unification Church, uh, the Moonies, will say, well, Jesus is the Messiah and all, but he just fell in some bad times, bad luck, things went south, and oh, the bad guys won. Jesus is saying, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. Next, next slide. He says, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? He's praying, Father, save me from this hour? No. It was, he's talking about his crucifixion. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. He said, this is why I came. 
Now, it's, it's fascinating to me is there's no other religious leader who claims that the reason why he came to earth was so he could die. Uh, Jesus stands alone with this. There's no other religious leader where that is, is made the centerpiece. But Christianity, the cross, is the centerpiece, isn't it? You've got four Gospels, and each one of them are leading up to the cross. John chapter 11, we hit it last week, is actually the, the hinge of, of the book. From John 11 on, it's dealing with the last two weeks of Jesus' life. All the Gospel writers are leading up to that point. Jesus' death. What was the, the central focus of Christianity? This is why we cannot be quiet when people are saying, oh, all religions are the same, and all religions basically are, you know, let's, let's do good, let's do this, let's do the other thing. But, but Jesus, whole different deal. It's all about his death. How do you spell, spelling test here, how do you spell religion? You spell it D-O, do. Had a uh, neighbor back in Cincinnati uh, uh, from Pakistan, very, very, uh, very Muslim guy, neat guy. Uh, my kid played. Lauren played at his house when she was a little girl, and his son played at our house. Uh, but he knew I was a Christian pastor, and so he stood away a little bit. One day, I, I don't know if I was borrowing his ladder or whatever. I didn't witness to him. Probably I should have. I felt a little bad for that, but I didn't have to. He knew, and he, he, I'm getting his ladder, and he just stops and turns at me, and he sticks his finger in my face and says, I don't need anyone to die for me. I know what I have to do. My Quran tells me, and he named us a handful of stuff, and, I, and if I do these things, then I'll be accepted by Allah, and I, I don't need anyone to die for me. Religion is spelled D-O, do. And Swami was right. World religions, they're basically all the same thing. How do you get to the top? Well, there's different things you've got to do, and most of them have some of the same stuff. You know, don't kill anybody, and don't lie and be nice to people and stuff. Uh, so in many ways, yeah, they are all the same. But how do you spell Christianity? You spell it D-O-N-E, done. It's not an issue. This, this, is, this is the... The premise of all of Christianity, it's not an issue that I have to do something, that that which keeps me from reaching the top and reaching God is I haven't done enough good things. It's According to Scripture, it's that I have been tainted with sin. as We all have, and we don't have to prove this one, do we? We've got more than enough stories. that We are, by nature, sinners. And if God is perfect and heaven is perfect, he cannot allow us in his presence with sin in our lives. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he died. And I don't understand it all, but when he was on the cross 2,000 years ago, God the Father looked into the future, my future, and took my specific sins, not sin generic, and Christ died for that, to erase it, to clean it. So it's not an issue of me having to do stuff to get to God. Jesus has already done it all. I've done plenty of stuff to keep from God. Jesus has erased all of that. That is, Jesus is unique in his death. No other world religion, to my understanding, world religious leader, makes a huge thing about the, their founder's death. No other religion, to my understanding, uh, their religious founder is claimed to be given as an atonement or sacrifice. I, it's, not, it's not there. Jesus' claims are so unique. Jesus is also unique in his resurrection, right? Oh, this is so, so huge. I mean, we know... Um, Scripture lets us know, and this is fascinating, that after Jesus was crucified, that his disciples just all fell apart. I mean, they were just, they were just a, a, a mess. And then something happened. 
I mean, they're hiding in an upper room, locked room, scared under the table, afraid. You know, they just took out Jesus who could work miracles. What's it, what are they going to do to them? And, and so they're, they're nervous. They're thinking that maybe at this point that they followed Jesus in air, that he really wasn't who he said he was. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? It was after the resurrection, but they really didn't know Jesus was alive yet. These guys are walking, and Jesus kind of joins them incognito. He says, hey, what's up? And they said, well, you know, let me tell you about this guy back, back in Jerusalem, Jesus. And they say, we hoped he was the one. Inferences, we were wrong. He's, he wasn't, but we hoped he was. The disciples were at this place where they had hoped, but their hopes were shattered. Something happens. A couple weeks later, they're in the streets of Jerusalem proclaiming, preaching. Several different messages, sermons in the book of Acts. Every single sermon, one major common denominator, and it is the resurrection. They're, they're, they're saying stuff like, You're not gonna, I didn't believe this. It's incredible. He really, I saw him. He really rose. You're not going to believe this. And it's amazing that they didn't get anything out of it. They weren't preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity thing. They weren't going to get major fame or money or anything out of this. They all got martyred because of it. You think somebody would back off. You know, also, all you would need at this point was for one person, when they're preaching this, to come up with the body of Jesus if it's still in the grave and say, hey, what is this? I've got a quote from, um, there we go, Tom Anderson. He says, with an event as well publicized, don't you think that it's reasonable that one historian, one eyewitness, one antagonist would record for all time that he had seen Christ's body? The silence of history is deafening when it comes to the testimony against the resurrection. He's saying that all you need is one person to drag out the body of Jesus and say, hey, hey, Quit the stuff with the resurrection. We got him right here. Uh, but nobody was able to. Jesus is unique in his resurrection. And then when uh, Mark 13, is it Mark 13? Yeah, there we go. Mark 14. It said that everyone deserted all of his, all of his disciples were, 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 were a mess, that they had all fled. Let's go back to the slide right before that. The, the Pharisees couldn't have Jesus rise from the dead. That wouldn't look good, right? So they came up with a plan. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. Did you see the hole in this plan? If you're sleeping, how do you know who stole the body? How do you know anybody stole the body? I mean, if you're sleeping, you have no clue. But somehow they were able to figure this out. While we're sleeping, we just know, maybe, I don't know what they figured... They should have went and took the guys out while they were, when they woke up and caught them trying to steal the body uh, because their necks would have been on the line. But the apostles propagated the story, if they really stole the body, that landed all of them in an early grave and cost their family, their families, personally. Would you do that? If you know that you stole the body, he really didn't rise from the dead. Would you, would you really push it that far? All of them? Jesus is unique in his resurrection. There is no other religious leader, founder, that, that even claims that he was going to rise from the dead. There's no other religious founder whose followers claim that he rose from the dead. This is, is why Jesus can say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. No man comes to God but by me. That's why we have said, no, 
two different groups of people this impacts. First of all, it, it may impact those who have never really thought much about Jesus, never really considered Christ. Um, let me encourage you, if you're in that boat, there's just too much on the line, if this is true, to not give it some attention. So let me challenge you to do this. Get a spiral notebook, go to the book of John, and go through it verse by verse and just write down everything you learn about Jesus. Stuff that other people say about him, stuff he said, everything you learn about Jesus. And start it with the mindset that says, Lord, if this is, or God, if this is true, will you just show me? Just show me. I'm, I'm open. I'm open. And see where that might, might lead you. Uh, for the rest of us, how might this impact us? You know, it's interesting when you look at the audience that Jesus first said this to on the way, the truth, and the life. He said it to his disciples. And he said it at a tough time. He just told them that there was a traitor at the table. That, that uh, somebody was, that they trusted was going to betray the whole group. Lots of anxiety with that one, you can imagine. And he just told them that their leader, Peter, was going to deny them three times. They, they, he was their leader. And if he was going to fall apart, his faith was going to crash. What about theirs? Lots of anxiety. Jesus just told them, you know what? I'm leaving. I know you guys think you know what I'm supposed to be doing, sitting in my kingdom and we're going to take out Rome. And I'm not. I'm leaving. And when Jesus wasn't going to do what they thought he was going to do, you can imagine high anxiety. And Jesus also was giving them a task that was way beyond them, high anxiety. And to them, then Jesus says this, 14.1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Yeah, high anxiety going on. Lots of confusion, lots of pain, lots of questions. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Then Thomas said to him, Lord, out of confusion and frustration and pain, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus answered, I'm, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Take an evaluation of your own life for a minute. Perhaps you are in the midst of anxiety because somebody has betrayed. Because there is a relational breakdown. I mean, how many people do you know have left, over the years, have left the church because of a relationship that broke down that wasn't resolved? How many people do you know don't come to your family reunions anymore because of a relationship breakdown that was never resolved, and they're gone. I mean, all of us in this life, I would like to say that the community in Christianity is going to be perfect. It's just not going to be perfect while we're on this side of heaven. And relationship breakdown happens, and it hurts, and it creates anxiety. In the middle of that, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, which partially lets me know we have some control on our anxiety level. Look to me. I am. The way, the truth, and love. When you think it's all going south, I am. How many of us have been in a place where we've seen spiritual leaders crash and, and burn? Oh, man, I'll tell you, this, this scares me uh, to no end. I pray this. There was one day I was going to be the next Billy Graham, and now I just pray, Lord, help me to get out of this okay. You know, help me to die with a halfway decent level of inte integrity here. Um, how many of us have seen people we admire, people we respect, guy who mentored me when I was a kid, leave, walk away? Jesus says, I know that's going to happen. He knows ahead of time. He doesn't catch him by guard. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled when that happens. 
Look to me, not to him. I am the way and the truth and the life. How many of us don't see Jesus doing what we think he's supposed to do? He's supposed to act a certain way. We know it. We got it. He's supposed to be, do this, and he's just not doing it. And Jesus says in the midst of that, don't let your hearts be troubled. I still am the way, truth, and life. Trust me. Will you trust again? Trust me. Things are right on schedule. They're right on schedule. Trust me. How many of us get overwhelmed? With the, with the task at hand, and we look to maybe something God has called us to do, and then we just, I can't, that's, I'm, I'm going to die with this. There's just no way. Just no way. There's too much to do. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one. I'm the only way to God the Father. No one comes to God except through me. Would you pray with me? And let me, uh, while we're, uh, we don't have to bow our, our heads and close our eyes to pray, but we just do it because it helps us to focus on Him. But if you're in that ballpark this morning where you don't, you're just not sure of the identity of Jesus, or maybe you hadn't thought about it, maybe this morning even, you've come to a place where you, you realize, yes, it, it's true. Right where you sit, you can commit to Him. Just, just, uh, Surrender your life. Let him know that I recognize, O oh Lord, that you are God. And I ask your forgiveness and give the rest of my life to you. And if you've done that, if you, there's a little card in the pew rack in front of you that says yes. You can pull that and check it. Just hand it in at that connection table. They've got a, a Bible and some next step stuff for you. But maybe you're here. You've come to know Christ. You've walked with Him. And yet you're living with the anxiety. There's just a lot of anxiety type stuff going on in your life right now. Jesus would say to you, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Would you trust me? That's a good question. Would you trust Him? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life.